This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Your eyes need an ample supply of a lot of nutrients to function properly. Clinical studies have found that your lens is particularly sensitive to any nutrient deficiency. And if your lens can't change its shape properly, it can't focus, the image doesn't get to your retina, and you just don't see properly. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Bussin, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll discuss the natural approach to eye health. We'll hear about self-care and preventative wellness. We'll learn how to prepare yourself for winter sports. And lastly, we'll find out about mood-boosting foods. But first, a little bit of business. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Joel Thuna is a master herbalist and general manager of Purely Natural. He strives to improve the quality of natural products in the market and passes along his knowledge of herbal remedies through lectures and articles. Joel is a regular contributor to Tonic Magazine and this show. Welcome back again, sir. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Hopefully everyone else is as well. And I'm happy to be here. We're all happy. Today's a happy day. And awesome. we're going to talk about something you and I actually have never talked about before, and that is eyesight. Yep. So give us your insights into eyesight. <laughs> Well, the reason I actually picked this topic, frankly, is a friend of mine had some issues and asked me to look into eyesight. So it's the first time in my life I've actually done an in-depth research into, into eyesight. And frankly, I was amazed. There was a lot that I just never knew. So yeah. I want to share what I know now. You know, and I appreciate, you know, you go to that effort of putting in the time to research, you know, a lot before you come on the show. And I think it's a benefit to everybody, especially our listeners. So I do appreciate that. So tell us what you found out about eyesight. Well, the first is just how amazing it is. I like to call it a miracle. Do you know that the human eye can focus from one object to another in as little as 13 milliseconds? When you compare that to the fast, and I do mean fast autofocus cameras, the really high-end ones, they're good if they can do it in 300 milliseconds. Wow. Oh, yeah, ridiculously slow in comparison to us. We're well-engineered. <laughs> Definitely. And then you look at what's called focal length, and that's the distance or the range that we can focus properly. Mm -hmm. Your eyes can focus as close as about 15 millimeters, and under the right conditions can focus to an object three kilometers away. Yep. And if it's something that you're looking just like a flicker of light from a candle, we can see it almost 20 kilometers away at a flat surface. Wow. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. As I said, it's a miracle. And it's just amazing how well our eyes, for lack of a better phrase, are engineered. Yeah. So we are built with this amazing process that we have for eyesight, but, you know, a lot of us suffer from problems. So what are some of the issues that people have with their eyesight? Well... Some of the problems that are 
well-known are cataracts, diabetic retinopathy, dry eyes, glaucoma, macular degeneration. And everyone uses those terms, assuming people actually know what they mean. Right. And I'll be honest, I didn't know them really well. I, I knew in general, but I didn't know them really well. So let's go into very quickly what they mean. Cataracts are a medical condition where the lens of your eyes become clouded. Age-related cataracts are common, and they are the leading cause of vision impairment and blindness around the world. Hmm. Then you have diabetic retinopathy, and this is a condition associated with diabetes, which is, again, a major cause of visual impairment and blindness. Retinopathy happens when high blood sugar levels actually damage your blood vessels inside your retina. Dry eye disease is one that happens to oh my gosh, most of the people I know. And what it is, is you have insufficient tear fluid or tears that aren't regular, which causes the eye to dry up, leads to discomfort, visual problems, and the worst part, it leads to pain. It actually really is painful, and I suffer from that in the dead of winter myself. Then you have glaucoma. Mm -hmm. Glaucoma is not one disease. It's actually a family of diseases that create a progressive degeneration of the actual optic nerve itself. And that is the nerve which transfers the visual information, so the information from your eye to your brain. Glaucoma causes poor eyesight, blindness, and the worst part, again, significant pain, significant. Hmm. Then you have macular degeneration. And the macula is the center part of your retina. And age-related macular degeneration is one of the main causes of blindness. What it does is your macula starts to degenerate. And you have to understand, as we age, because our eyes are so delicate, as we age, they start to decline. That happens to almost everyone. But at the same time, we don't have to accept that it's going to happen without our intervention or making it better or reducing the impact of it. So what we have to know is that all the pieces of your eye have to work together for it to work properly. And if any one piece starts to falter, the whole system goes out of whack. Right. And it's because of that that we have so many conditions that affect it because all the different pieces, there's a thing with the cornea, there's a thing with the lens, there's a thing with the retina, there's a thing with the macula. We have to make sure all of them work together to get it right. But as you said, the happy news is we can intervene on our own behalf and perhaps slow down the degeneration, right? Definitely. There are strategies to do this without question. So let's get to the happy news. What can we do? Let's talk about healthy diet. Can that impact it? Definitely. Like always, a healthy diet is the foundation for proper health, including proper eye health. Your eyes need an ample supply of a lot of nutrients to function properly. Clinical studies have found that your lens is particularly sensitive to any nutrient deficiency. And if your lens can't change its shape properly, it can't focus, the image doesn't get to your retina, and you just don't see properly. So ideally, you want to aim for a well-rounded diet with a high level of variety and not too many processed foods, fats, or sugars. What you want to do again also, as I've said with you many, many times, is get your fill of brightly colored fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. The reason are that the brighter or the deeper the color means that they're rich in a specific class of antioxidants called anthocyanins. And anthocyanins work 
to play a key role in protecting from macular degeneration and cataracts, specifically those two things. And again, the richer the color, the darker the color is better. So you want to look for things that are really high and have deep, dark colors. Carrots, sweet potatoes, spinach, peppers, chard, red lettuce, kale, beets, pumpkin, watermelon, kiwi, red grapefruit, limes, oranges, cantaloupe, mangoes, any of the berries, take your pick, and also grapes. Red grapes, really deep color. And don't stick to just one. Go for a nice variety because, as I said, anthocyanins are a class. They're not just one nutrient. They're a class of them. So you want to get different ones to help. So, you know, when you come on the show and you talk about eating all these fruits and vegetables, you know, the truth of the matter is very few of us actually eat enough of the good fruits and vegetables on a regular basis to to get that into our system. And so we have to look to supplements if we're not capable of eating properly. So let's focus on some of the vitamins first that might help us with our eyesight. No question. You have multiple vitamins that are specifically K2, C, E, and A. And each of them is vital for eye health. Vitamin K2, which is the one most people know the least about, is a powerful ally in ocular health. K2 reduces arteriosclerosis throughout your body and in your eyes. And by doing that, what it does is it enables better blood flow through the eye itself as well as reduced pressure in the eye. Both of those combined help to reduce your risk of macular degeneration and glaucoma. K2, are people supplementing that on its own or is that part of a multivitamin usually? You're rarely going to find good levels and good quality K2 in a multi. Okay. Well, you'll find out there on the market, you'll find K2 by itself. I suggest MK7 specifically. There are multiple forms of K2. And you'll find K2 also with vitamin D and sometimes with vitamin C. Okay. So let's move on to vitamin C, E, and A. Yep. C promotes the health of your blood vessels specifically in your retina, Mm -hmm. as well as reducing the risk of cataracts. Vitamin E protects your eyes from macular degeneration and cataracts, working as an antioxidant. And vitamin A plays a crucial role in vision by keeping your cornea clear. And in doing this, it also helps you see in low light conditions. And here's where you see the different parts of the eye. This vitamin helps with this, this vitamin helps with this. But all of them together, that's where you get the effect. And what sort of dosages are we looking at, Joel? You're looking at fairly low doses for all of them. You don't want to go too much. You can look them up. If you look at your product labels, Mm -hmm. most of them will naturally, just because of the way Health Canada works, have amounts that are... Enough to help, but not too much to cause issues. Got it. And the, these are preventative and you take them every day, correct? Yes. Yes. And for example, the C, E, and A, those you can get as part of a multi. Yeah. The K2 is the one you've got to go looking for. And remember, MK7 specifically okay. for K2. All right. Let's move on. There are vitamin-like nutraceuticals that aren't vitamins, but still help the good fight. Yeah? Yep. There are two in particular that are called lutein and zeaxanthin. 
And zeaxanthin, just so you know, does n- is not spelled the way it sounds, yeah. but it's um, it's always found with lutein. They're almost always found together in supplements. Uh, there are a pair of potent antioxidants that are found in an awful lot of vegetables. The problem is they're found in ridiculously low quantities. If you eat veggies and you were completely vegan all the time, you still wouldn't get enough. Okay. You, you do need to supplement with these. Right. They're also found in your eyes, especially in the lens, the retina, and the macula. They're found, and they have a lot of them in your eyes. What they do is they work together to protect your eye tissues from the ultraviolet rays from sunlight. Because think about it, you're, you're looking, you're, you're, your eye needs light to come in, right. but the problem is some of the light can potentially damage your eye. So what these two do is they help prevent that damage from occurring. And they found with clinical trials that high levels of them together in your eye is linked to better vision, especially in dim light or in glare. Which is always an issue for me, like night driving when the lights are flashing or, you know, when an oncoming car has the brights on or something like that. I, I, I find as I get older, it's, it's the residual light effects that are affecting my vision more than anything. Yep. It's like your windshield's got a little bit of a streaking onto it or something like that. Yep. Exactly. I have the exact same problem sometimes. What they found in clinical trials also with the lutein and zeaxanthin is that if you have high levels in your eyes, you're less likely to get cataracts, and together they help slow the progress of macular degeneration. Fantastic. Okay, so the next product I know you want to talk about is something we talk about a lot, and that's omega-3s. Specifically DHA, or dexohemoscopic acid. Wow. DHA, easier yep. to say. Yep. <laughs> it's a particular type of omega-3 that's found in some fatty fish, algae, and some crustaceans. DHA is highly anti-inflammatory, and there's ridiculously high amounts of it both in your brain and in, throughout your eye. And they found that it plays a role in prevention of diabetic retinopathy. And that's the damage to your retina caused by diabetes. Right. And when we were talking about it before, you know, when you go see your eye doctor, if you, you know, you may not know that you're diabetic, but a simple eye exam may uh, show you that you are. So that's a good enough reason to get it checked. Oh, definitely. The other thing that's important is you should also, if you are diabetic, make sure that your eye doctor knows that. And they do regular checks because they actually do different checks, more thorough checks if you're diabetic to, to track and make sure that the damage is not getting large. Okay. So with the DHA, you mentioned the sources. Those were all animal sources. Is there a vegan source of DHA or do you have to get it from, from fish from the sea, et cetera? No, no. One of the one of the primary sources of it is algae, and oh. algae is vegan. There's no problem there. It's more expensive, yep. but it's nice. It it has less of a taste, also, to be quite honest. And yeah, that's not a problem. Just look on labels for something that says algae or algal DHA. All right, we have time to go over one more part of our our nutrients, and that is minerals. Yep. The big mineral when it comes to eyesight is zinc, and that's because your eyes contain a high level of zinc. Zinc is actually required for the formation of pigments, which is the color of your eye that's in your retina. 
zinc deficiency, and here's the scary one, is associated with night blindness. Mm. They found in studies that older adults with early, early macular degeneration, when given zinc supplements, saw the deterioration slowed, and they were able to maintain better visual sharpness. So essentially, by taking zinc supplementally, they were able to find that they were able to improve their vision and improve the quality of their vision, not just the vision in general. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today and letting us know all that great information about our eyesight. Will you come back again? Definitely. And the last thing I want to say is please make sure take care of your eyes because with everyone wearing masks, they are truly the window to the soul. Right you are. We're going to hear back from Joel Thuna next month. We have to take a short break now, but when we return, we'll hear about self-care and preventative health on The Tonic. Alamax Canada is the company that delivers real, bioactive, stabilized allicin. Using only the freshest garlic from Spain, Alamax is the trusted source for a high-quality and effective allicin supplement. The manufacturers of Alamax have dedicated their time to researching this fascinating plant and all of its antimicrobial and antibacterial benefits. To fight infection and stay well, take Alamax. For more information, visit Alamax.ca. A lot has changed in 15 years, but for CanPrev, the things that matter stay the same. Things like being proudly Canadian, being family-owned with heart, doing what's right rather than what's convenient and an unwavering commitment to support all Canadians with safe and reliable health options. A lot has changed in 15 years, but CanPrev's mission to place health back in the hands of Canadians, it remains more relevant than ever. Learn more at canprev.ca and take charge of your health today. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. A cancer survivor and busy mother of four, Tanya Salaturo started CanPrev 15 years ago to share the passion she had developed for natural health during her three separate journeys with breast cancer. For CanPrev, 2020 marks 15 years of providing quality, comprehensive natural health products that Canadians use every day to support their health. For more information about Tanya, you can visit canprev.ca. Welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. I'm great. Just went for a run, so I'm all energized. Well, that's always a good thing to hear. (laughs) You know, runs can be a bit of a journey, but we're talking about a bigger journey that you've had, right? Mm, That's right. Definitely. And that that started with with an original diagnosis of cancer. So what happened from there? Yeah, well, you know, I'd have to say it starts a bit before that, because before you're diagnosed with cancer, you have to kind of figure out that something's wrong. Yeah. And especially during a pandemic, I'm hearing a lot that people are pushing off, pushing off, going to see, you know, a doctor or a therapist or alternative care practitioner. And it all starts with listening to your body and listening to those symptoms mm-hmm. long before the diagnosis. So I was 19 when I felt a lump in my breast. A year later, it started paining. And even after the pain, it took me another four or five months before I went to the doctor and, and complained about the pain. So, yes, it's been a long journey since 1991, my first diagnosis. I was diagnosed twice more after that with breast cancer. And um, as you said, our company, CanPrev, is 15 years old, and I'm 15 years cancer-free and very grateful. Congratulations. That is a good story. So let's talk about what you've learned along the way, right? Because everything is sort of a journey and, and, you know, that's sometimes more important than the end results. What did you come to understand about your well-being and and what a grounding for that is? Well, I've definitely become feistier about fighting for myself. And I think 
I want to always encourage my fellow Canadians to be your own health advocate. First of all, you have to listen and know your body because you're going to know it better than anyone else. And then, you know, make notes to yourself and be your advocate. And if you can't, you know, be strong with with your doctor or practitioner, bring a friend, bring a family member, but make sure that you're strong going in and you're going to cover all your points and you're going to be heard. And it's hard because... The healthcare system is overburdened, and they don't have a lot of time to hear all of your aches and pains and issues. But there are different sources of doctors out there. Personally, I love my naturopathic doctor because they will take more time for you. But there are, you know, you could talk to your massage therapist. You, you know, just let people know what your issues are and seek help. I think that's good advice. What sort of barriers do you see, and did you find it with yourself and, and others that you speak to that that can sort of prevent self-care? I think one of the barriers, for me even, was uh, lack of information. So you're given maybe a diagnosis or an issue about your health, and you're given a little bit of information about it. When you go to the Internet, you can be overwhelmed. So you have to find a balance. You, you do need to research, and you, you do need to find out what all your options are, because sometimes you're just given one or two options. But then you have to make sure that you're going to follow up on what you find. And nobody was listening to me because they were saying, you're too young. You're too young. The first time I was too young for, for breast cancer. And the second time they said, well, you had radiation therapy. You didn't have chemo, but you had radiation. So it couldn't be back. And the third time they told me, well, it's scar tissue. So it's just scar moving around. That's what your pain is. So you got to be listened to, but first listen to your body. That, that's what I, I like to kind of hammer over your head. Yeah. Listen to your body and act on it. You know, you mentioned the internet, and I think, you know, part of the problem is there's a distinction between opinion and fact, um, Mm -hmm. and that can be blurred on the internet. And if Mm -hmm. you're not understanding the credibility of the site that you're looking at, right, like the information is there, right? If you you did a Google search for anything, whether it's cancer or any ailment or even a nutraceutical, and you start looking into it, it's sometimes difficult to understand and fathom. You know, you can read two different sites and they'd have completely different information. And, you know, where do you go from there? So, you know, I think what's missing from the Internet is is curation. But that's just my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. And that was a big concern for me, even starting our business, because we were entering what's called the natural health industry, naturopathic medicine, something called nutraceuticals. And there was historically a lack of trust. And so I wanted to create products that I could trust. I mean, we had doctors create them, but products that I could trust with safety and efficacy. And I was taking mushrooms, for example, and my next-door neighbor said, is there a study on on those mushrooms? I'm like, I don't know. And he says, well, I'm afraid at six capsules a day, you might be basically putting toxins in your body. And so that was a real eye-opener for me. So for me, going back to research, if you can find studies, maybe it's about your blood sugar, uh, maybe it's about your blood pressure. If you can find studies about what it is you're, you're seeking, those studies are often, you know, quite a lot more credible than so-and-so saying, oh, I think this heals this or that, you yeah. know? Yeah. So yeah, go back to the studies if you can. Do you find that there's an emotional barrier to advocating for yourself? Like, particularly as a woman, like, you know, the women are socialized not to be as assertive as men, although hopefully that's changing. But was that an issue for you? Well, I think that with age and wisdom, we do gain confidence. And I guess another another problem is not just a lack of confidence, but a feeling of guilt that yeah. if I 
if I take care of myself, if I spend time on me, then I'm not spending it on my partner, my spouse, my kids, my parents. The list goes on, my, my best friend, you know. And I was in a meeting with some women one day. Um, we did a weekly women's meeting. And the, the eldest woman in the group, she put up a flip chart and she said, okay, today we're talking about guilt. And she drew a house and she put some windows on there. She said, we're going to fill up these windows with all the things we felt guilty about. And what should have been a five-minute exercise was about a half-hour exercise, and that entire flip chart page was covered from corner to corner and end to end, and guilt keeps us back. It's unbelievable the things that we're guilty that we didn't do this, we're guilty that we did do that. No, no, don't feel bad about taking care of yourself. Don't feel bad about taking prevention. Like, we call our company CAMPREV, which actually stands for You Can Prevent. Take an ounce of prevention. My grandmother used to say, and I know it's from Benjamin Franklin, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Absolutely. And so by being shy, being less confident, being guilty, all these things that we use excuse after excuse not to take care of ourselves. And we have a bright future. I am so optimistic about the future. I am a very high risk for cancer. And as you age, you know, you're at higher risk for everything. Right. But you also have so many years of goodness and wisdom behind you. And you can fall back on the good things and the strong things and the wisdom. And that's what propels you forward to do even more in life. And now take that base and go forward and further fulfill your purpose in life. I think that makes a lot of sense. And you're talking about you sort of as an individual and taking responsibility for yourself. But what about your place in the community? How do you feel about that? Where would you go with that? Well, it's interesting. During COVID, my daughter was doing um, a project on data management, and she had to come up with some statistics. And she found out that the more social you are, typically the more healthy you are. Hmm. And that has to do with your community. Your community could be one person. It could be your best friend. It could be an old high school friend. It could be the nurse that visits you. That might be your community. For me, um, I really worked at developing my community. I've, I've worked at my sports, you know, my community around, around my tennis, you know, it's getting more challenging as you get older. Yeah. I've worked on keeping in touch with old colleagues, former high school friends, my faith community, my healthcare team. They are all part of my community. And so whether it's one person or a hundred, that's going to propel your health forward. And you have to keep in touch. It takes effort to have a relationship, doesn't it? It does. But, you know, there have been a lot of studies pertaining to longevity and, you know, in addition to sort of mobility and exercise and and having a sense of purpose, a connectedness to the community is is also one of the pillars of longevity. So I think you've really hit upon something and, you know, building that groundwork, it's never too early. And I say that as a deeply introverted person who, who struggles reaching out mm-hmm. to others, mm-hmm. but I've come to realize how important it is. Yeah, and I mean, not everyone's on the internet, but most people are. It's so easy to send a quick email here, send a quick message there, you know, join an online group. I recently joined one called Naturalists of Ontario, you know, and, and I'm starting to know people in that group. So when you make the effort, it pays back in bucketful. But it does take that effort, that, that first phone call, pick it up. You know, my mother, she's in her 80s. She makes a list of people she's going to call this week. Yeah. And she makes sure she calls them. How amazing is that? She's 82, and she's not waiting for people to call her. 
because the phone doesn't often ring at that age, and she's lonely. It's it's COVID, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But she's making that effort. I think we all need to. You know, I've been I've been making an effort during COVID to reach out to my old high school and law school friends, right? And and you know, like not necessarily people that I, you know, I'm going to be close with again, but just to find out how they're doing, uh, mm-hmm. find out what's up. Even that can have value. It's almost a positive that's coming out of the pandemic that we're reaching out and saying, "Hey, you're doing okay." Or even, you know, putting, I know someone who slipped a note under their neighbor's door. It can be something as simple as that. And by reaching out, you're bringing joy to your soul and you're making yourself healthier. Fantastic advice. We have time for one more question, and that is this. If there is one takeaway message from your experience, what would it be? I think overall, I'm smiling because this has to do with the easiest thing, and it's the word gratitude. You know, I'm grateful for life. I'm grateful for every breath. There were times when I was ill and I couldn't walk. I was in depression. I couldn't get out of bed. So if you can actually even crack half a smile and be grateful for something, that smile is going to affect someone you see and make their day. And, you know, it's not just a smile. It might even be uttering the word thank you under your breath for someone. And these are things, that's why you're here. You're here to be with others and but you want to do it healthily, and that's why you want to take care of yourself, fill up your cup, so that you can go and share your drink with everybody else. Fantastic advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure, and thanks for your time. Have a great day. That was Tanya Salatoro. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss preparing for winter sports on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. I'd like to give a shout-out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian-owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Dr. Stacey Irvine is the co-founder of Totem Life Science. Through her work as a chiropractor and strength and conditioning specialist, Dr. Irvine's clientele ranges from beginners, just starting out on an exercise program to elite and professional athletes looking for advanced rehabilitation and training program strategies. She's made several appearances as a fitness expert on CityLine, Canada AM, Global Television Network, City TV, WTN, and is frequently quoted as a fitness expert in Chatelaine, Glow Magazine, More Magazine, Zoomer, and the Toronto star and of course she's become a regular here welcome back to the show it's great to be here so it's you know we've had some snow <laughs> which a i have early i have to say i i have mixed feelings about it <laughs> me too definitely and mi- mixed is putting it kindly yeah yeah uh, i agree but it got me thinking it's probably a good time to start thinking about winter sports particularly because people are going to want to get out of the house this winter in any way they can right 
Definitely. And you know what else? It seems to be kind of the trend with this pandemic is that if you're not on it, you might be too late. Like things get yeah. sold out. We saw that with bikes. Yeah. And I'm worried we might see that with skis and some of the other outdoor gears. So I think being prepared is always your number one thing with anything related to winter. I agree with you. So in addition to the equipment, people should be thinking about what they should be wearing outside if they're going to be spending time outside, yeah? You got it. And the key with winter is layers. You want to have many options of many layers of clothing. So you want to invest in, you know, your good kind of underwear layer because that is really what makes a big difference when you're outside. You know, things that come up high around your neck and kind of seal in that heat. That is crucial, and I would invest in a few pairs of those, you know, like long johns, those types of things. Then you want to have kind of like a thin downfill layer on top of that, and there's great pants now that are lined with fleece, and there's so many fantastic options out there. And then you've got your top layer, which is for the colder weather, where we bring out kind of our big coats and, you know, the big hats and all that kind of stuff. But you do need all of it. I feel that I like to be over-prepared. I'm very happy to take layers off or, you know, unzip my coat, but I hate being out and being cold. It bothers me. Yeah. I had this running jacket that I got at the running room like decades ago, and, you know, it's pretty ratty now, but it was super thin, and it was rated to like 10 below, and it had this balaclava that you could roll out of the hood, and it was amazing. I, I could run all the way through the winter in it. So, like, if people are struggling to find stuff, you might want to check out some of the running stores because they have very lightweight and thermal stuff to wear. I couldn't agree more. And and it's funny that you say that, that you bought it years ago because a lot of the gear that I use, I have used for kind of the last 10 years. Yeah. And it doesn't look perfect, but it works perfectly fine. So I think it's a good idea to invest in some good pieces, knowing that you're going to have them for a really long time. I have a pair of mismatched bottoms and tops. It makes me look like Polly Walnuts out of The Sopranos when I, yeah. when, I, when I go running in it, but I don't care. It's not better to look good than feel good. In this instance, you want to make sure you've got equipment that is doing the job, whatever you look like. It is by far the most important piece of it. And I love, I did some things with CityLine at one point about weather and gear, and they have a statement that I love. It says there's no bad weather, only bad gear. Yep. So no matter what the weather, and growing up, you know, in Saskatoon and Winnipeg in those temperatures, I really think that, you know, we've got it pretty easy here compared to how they have it there with 40 below and 50 below. That's a much bigger challenge than what we have. How do you feel about waterproofing? Like, I, I tend to look for stuff that's water resistance. I don't necessarily focus on waterproofing unless I'm running through rainy season. I think I totally agree. I go out in the water all the time, like when it's raining, and I don't worry about it. I don't have things that are perfect. I just figure I'm not going to melt, so I'm going to be okay, right? I might come back and be wet, and my shoes might have to dry out and that type of a thing, but I'm going to be okay. Yeah, I agree. So I think like with anything else, particularly in winter, though, because we all think of ourselves as hardy Canadians, we have some people that are going to go out and I call it weekend warrior syndrome. And that is they think they're ready to get out there, but they really aren't. And that's when you can do some damage, right? It is definitely when you can do some damage. And the nice thing with winter is that When you get out there, you do get nice and warmed up, and it is a really great way to make the winter go past a little bit faster. I really encourage people to be outside as much as they possibly can in the winter. However, 
you are also in a colder environment. And so your body needs to kind of go into things a little bit more gradually. And it's not maybe a time where you want to take up a new like sprinting activity or a new plyometric type of activity because even though you might be sweating and even though you might feel like your core muscles are quite warm, it's tough on your extremities. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, your, your ankles and your wrists and things like that, you might try to do something that is way outside your comfort zone and your extremities are not as warm as you think they are and that might be where you kind of go over on your ankle or cause that kind of an injury. So really, when it's outdoor sports in the winter, I think you really want to be aware of your surfaces. You want to, you know, like the ice and and that type of thing can cause a lot of problems. So you want to take it easy and go into things gradually and make sure you're aware of your environment. But it's not the time to say like, oh, I've never tried this before, but I'm just going to go at it full tilt because that is when the injuries will happen. Do you have any advice for warming up, like when you're running outside or skiing? Yeah, I think it's similar to what we do in the summer is that you start off slowly. Like you might even just start with a fast walk so that you can get your joints lubricated and so that you can get things moving. And then you just build up gradually into whatever activity it is that you're going to do, knowing that you will get warm. You'll be warm probably within five minutes, provided you're wearing good gear. Yep. So, and then, you know, it's kind of a nice way to ease into it. You just want to do it on a, on a gradual way. I don't think that it's not like running outside where you're going to be kind of into a fast speed right away. So you don't need to do a lot of stretching and a lot of those types of activation exercises ahead of time. I think you just ease into the movement slowly. Okay. What about cooling down at the end of a workout? Is that relevant in the winter or is that just going to happen naturally? I'm going to say a really good cup of hot chocolate and maybe some mulled wine. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Maybe maybe some schnapps in the chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you prefer. You know, yeah, I think the nice thing about winter outdoor activity is you leave a cold environment and generally you end coming into a warm environment. So the cool down becomes less important than it does in the summer. However, we still want to make sure we're hydrated yep. before you drink the mulled wine. And we want to make sure that, you know, you could do some stretching and things like that after. If you did something particularly challenging outside that, you know, you thought you kind of needed to do a little bit of extra TLC for your body, a hot shower can really help kind of just get things back to normal and make you feel really great after an outdoor winter workout. You touched on it a second ago, and that's hydration. So like Mm -hmm. in in the middle of summer, I'm meticulous about making sure I'm hydrating both before and during and after a workout. Is that as much of a concern in winter? It's exactly the same concern because hydration really affects your performance. If you want to perform well, you have to be hydrated. So it's very critical that you take the time to make sure before, say, you're going skiing or whatever you're doing, that you are hydrated because you will perform better when you're doing whatever activity it is that you're doing. The other thing with winter sports that can be kind of a pain with hydration is when you have to go to the bathroom, you have to take a lot of layers off. So you want to make sure that you're kind of organized on the hydration. You know, I would suggest get up first thing in the morning. You know, you know what your activity is going to be of the day. Get hydrated then, and then go to the bathroom, then get all your gear on, 
and then go out and do your activity. And when you come back, the same thing. You're still sweating, hopefully, and you still need to make sure that you keep those hydration levels up, and mostly because you will feel better and you will feel healthier when you do that. Agreed. And, you know, part of the difficulty with winter sports is like there's less opportunity to take the water or whatever it is you're drinking with you. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so, you know, you're, you have all your other gear because winter sports tend to be more gear intensive than summer yes. sports. Yes. So like remembering to carry the water is kind of a pain. So I think your advice to have water both before and after might yeah. do the trick. Cool. Yeah, I, I think you should be pretty well covered then. You know, if you stop at lunch, like say if you have a day of skiing, you make sure to drink again at lunch, and, and I think that you should be okay. Okay, so let's move on to some of the specific type of winter sports that most of us do, and maybe you have some quick advice as to, you know, particular preparation. So for with skating or hockey, is there anything in particular you would recommend? Yes. The big difference with skating and hockey compared to our normal activity that we do is the adduction and abduction. So all of a sudden we're going to a motion that requires us to move our legs side to side. And 95% of our other activities are moving our legs forward and backward. So the key with skating and hockey is do some extra exercises to strengthen your adductors and your abductors. So, you know, kind of like anything that works on the inside and the outside of your legs, clamshells, all those types of great exercises. Those are what you want to focus on to get ready for skating and hockey. So you don't pull your groin. Exactly. Uh, All right. What about downhill skiing? Downhill skiing is quadriceps and hamstrings. And quadriceps are usually stronger and tighter So what I want you to focus on there is kind of making sure that your hips are, that you've kind of stretched them out. Because we've been spending so many hours sitting, you and I talked about that before, we want to open up our hips and we want to do some extra strengthening for our hamstrings, which are the muscles behind your knees. And the reason that is so important is they both need to be working in synergy to help you on the ski hill because you've got to react to the different terrain there. Just always remember you're probably quad dominant and you need to spend some extra time on those poor hamstrings. Okay, we have time for one last question and that is if you're going to do some cross-country skiing, anything we should prep for? Okay, I love that. Cross-country skiing, it's a lot of ankle work and it is by far my favorite activity. I would recommend it to everyone this season and see if you can do that. But yeah, get your ankles strong because again, the different terrain is really going to put some taxing effort through your ankle joint. Fantastic advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was my pleasure. That was Dr. Stacy Irvine. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we're going to discuss mood-boosting foods on The Tonic. Gentlemen, are prostate problems spoiling your day or waking you up at night? Ladies, are you tired of these disruptions? Discover Prostate Perform. Formulated with clinically proven natural ingredients, Prostate Perform helps reduce the frequency and urgency of men's bathroom breaks. Why wait? Prostate Perform relieves symptoms of BPH in men so you can both get back to enjoying your favorite activities. Available exclusively at quality health food stores. To learn more, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. And to ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of The Tonic Talk Show... I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. 
Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Heather Lillico is a registered holistic nutritionist and yoga and meditation instructor. She focuses on mental health, having been overwhelmed by anxiety and depression for most of her adult life. By incorporating nutrients to nourish your mind and mindfulness techniques to slow you down, Heather knows it's possible to get unstuck from looping thoughts and enjoy the magic of a clear mind. For more information, you can visit heatherlillico.com or follow her on Instagram at heather underscore L-I-L. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me on. Always a pleasure to hear from health and wellness experts. And today, we're going to talk about something that I think a lot of people need to hear, and that is... You can affect your mood by the foods that you eat, and it's simple, easy-peasy, and everybody's at home cooking, so maybe they should think about having some mood-boosting foods, right? Mm-hmm, absolutely. So, let's get rolling. What are some of the foods we should be thinking about to help boost our mood? Yeah, so if we think about fall, and we think about kind of what plants are doing naturally in the fall, they're generally no longer flowering anymore, they're no longer producing leaves, really the energy is being drawn inwards now to the roots, and that offers us a really concentrated source of many nutrients. So, one of my favorite foods in fall are Jerusalem artichokes or sunchokes. Have you heard of these before? I have. They're delicious. Amazing. Yeah. So they're in the potato family and they kind of look like knobby little gingers. And I love them because they're rich in prebiotics. And prebiotics are fiber that feed the bacteria in your gut. And they also are rich in compounds that help support healthy stomach acid production. And many people with mood issues and with anxiety specifically have issues with heartburn and with bloating. And so Jerusalem artichokes can help balance some of that out. And they're super easy to prepare. You can cook them in chunks, just like you would a potato, or I actually like them blended into a soup. So really amazing nutrients and foods that are available to us in the fall. Jerusalem artichokes is one. Another one of my favorite ones is rutabaga. Have you had that one before? Yeah, it's funny. I'm aging myself here, but there's a famous episode of Cheers where somebody combines beets and rutabagas to create betabagas. And there's a catchphrase, betabaga, fajita, and a pita. So every time I hear rutabagas, that's what I think of. But another Uh, good root vegetable that you can cook with. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know Cheers, but I haven't seen the specific episode. But rutabagas are are great. They're similar to turnips, and they're amazing for mood because they're high in vitamin B6, and that supports GABA. GABA is our brain's main relaxing, calming neurotransmitter. And so if somebody's having a lot of anxiety, likely their GABA is low. So rutabagas can help with that. They're also a rich source of magnesium, another way to support GABA, and can also help muscle relaxing. So if somebody tends to feel anxiety in their body, you know, they have a lot of tension in their shoulders, maybe their heart is beating fast, or their jaw just won't unclench, then magnesium can be helpful for that. And one of my favorite ways to prepare rutabaga is actually to slice them into sort of like French fries and then season them with a little bit of cumin, paprika, and then bake them in the oven for just a fun, different alternative to try. We had uh, rutabagas last week as part of a sort of a sheet pan meal. We got baby ones, which were Mm -hmm. easier to work with. They roasted up really nicely in a miso. So it was... Yeah. Ooh, 
Amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all these root vegetables go together, right? In yep. the sheet pan, they have similar cooking times. So you can do like potato, turnip, rutabaga, Jerusalem artichokes. You could even do Brussels sprouts in there. Another one of my favorite foods for fall because they are also rich in fiber. They support feeding the bacteria in your gut. And they are also high in folate. And folate is amazing for depression. And we know that people who are depressed are often found to be low in folate. And when you supplement folate for them, they feel a lot better and super easy to prepare. They can be roasted in that sheet pan, like you said, or I like to just saute them and then add them to some leafy greens for a really warming salad, which is so nice in the fall when the weather starts to turn. It's funny you mentioned the sprouts because actually the recipe was both sprouts and rutabagas with, with chicken. And and we have sprouts regularly. Um, we make a salad where they're both cooked and shredded and then raw as well. And if you if you shred them small enough, you know, even though they're they tend to be sort of fibrous, very easy, very easy eating. Yeah, amazing. And if you're having them both cooked and raw, you're kind of getting the benefit of both there, right? Yeah, you're exactly. having some of the liver supporting compounds still intact and and you're having some of the enzymes still there and then cooked. It can be a bit easier for some people to digest. So nice to have both in there. Yeah. So there's been a lot of talk about microbiomes. You want to walk us through that and why that's relevant to what we're talking about today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anytime I'm talking about mood and anxiety or depression, I'm I'm always talking about the gut. It's such an interesting area of research. And if I was to look into my crystal ball, I think you know, in probably like five years down the road, maybe 10 years, we're going to see full treatment options for mood issues coming from supplements that support the gut. And you have about 10 times as many microbes in your intestines as you do cells in your body. Like we have kilograms worth of this bacteria in there. And they do incredible things. They help balance our blood sugar. The bacteria help recycle our hormones. They make some of our B vitamins, which are our main energy vitamins. And they also make the majority of our serotonin, our our happy juice, I like to call it. And they also make GABA, that relaxing neurotransmitter. And so about 95% of my clients who come to me with anxiety also have issues with the gut. So it's usually bloating, it's irritable bowel type symptoms. So sometimes things are moving way too fast. We see upwards of, you know, six, seven bowel movements in a day, which means somebody's not digesting their nutrients properly. Or sometimes it's the total opposite is they haven't gone to the bathroom for like a week and then toxins are building up. Yeah, no, I know. I'm a stickler for being regular. So I'm always uh, making sure we have, I have oatmeal every day for breakfast and I make sure Mm -hmm. I have the fiber because I know that it's important to keep our, our system clean. Yeah. And we don't often talk about this, but this is something I dive into with clients. You know, it's kind of taboo to talk about going to the bathroom, but yeah. this is the stuff we need to talk about because if somebody is not regular, that is a clue that their system is is off. And the truth is, if the gut is unhappy, the brain is unhappy. And so many of my protocols with clients, I'm tackling the digestive system imbalance. And often I'll use supplements like a probiotic containing specific strains of bacteria that are helpful for anxiety. We use these prebiotic foods, these amazing fibrous vegetables, and then also fermented foods, such a key piece of the puzzle. And you mentioned miso before as well. That's a fermented food. It can help bring the gut back into balance. Yep, that makes sense. As we're heading into winter, is there anything you'd recommend to cope with uh, seasonal affective disorder? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is going to be a tough winter. Yep. Like, oh, already, you know, the time change has happened. And so we're having less daylight in the evening. And like, hello, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So yeah, exactly. this is going to be probably the hardest winter yet for, for a lot of people. And I think... 
some things that we can think about are, you know, going naturally with the season. So now is the time for some warming soups and stews. It's also a great way to sneak in those veggies. Maybe it's like a blended soup with a whole mix of them or mm-hmm. some sort of lentil soup with maybe some rutabaga, some Jerusalem artichokes, some carrots in it to just really like load up on those veggies. And might be a time as well for supplementing. I'll often have clients supplement with vitamin D during the winter, and we're starting to see some interesting links between coronavirus even and vitamin D. So that's something to consider. And I think we can't underestimate the the importance of some of the behavioral side of things. So for example, practicing gratitude. This is something that I do every day, and I have many of my clients work in as part of their plan is to be able to identify some of the opportunities and appreciate the small things I think is so important now more than ever. You know, maybe it's today you're just appreciative for your cup of coffee and that's okay, but that's something good that we can focus on. Yeah. I I think a lot of people are struggling because they're trying to look ahead and there's really, it's extremely difficult to get a a grounding thought of what the future is going to look like. And then, you know, I've been reaching out to friends and, and they're all sort of, there's a fair level of anxiety about what the future and my focus has been sort of in the present. And just think about what you have in front of you today. And, you know, if you can't be, if you're feeling blue or if you're feeling like the world is unfair to you, what I've been doing is I've been trying to do an act of kindness for somebody else. Because if you can't control how the world is impacting you, you might be able to control how the world is impacting somebody else. And it doesn't have to be big. It can be a phone call to say hello, or as you said, a cup of coffee, or if somebody's struggling, you know, throwing them a $5 bill, something like that. If you feel better in that moment, I think it'll flip your day. I love that. Yeah, there are so many things right now happening that we can't control. And and in regular times, too, there's always so much out of our control, right? And that's often what leads to a lot of stress for us is that we can't control our circumstances. And and that leads to a lot of anxiety and and worry about the future. So it makes sense that people would be feeling more anxious right now. Like, absolutely, there's a lot going on. But I, I love that sentiment of being able to support others, you know, where you can. And we know research shows that expressing gratitude and and doing acts of kindness for other people gives you a mood boost too. Exactly. What are you integrating into your practice? What sort of mindfulness are you practicing and espousing? Yeah. So, I mean, I do gratitude with a lot of clients because I think it's so powerful, but I like to work in kind of everyday mindfulness too. So sometimes I'll do, you know, some breath work with people and help them focus on those belly breaths. So bringing the breath right down into the belly, because when we feel anxious and when we feel stressed, we often just breathe these tiny little shallow breaths, and that can lead to us feeling more anxious. So I like to teach people how to bring the breath down into the belly. As a bonus, it helps digestion. So that's just an extra yay. But then I also help people incorporate mindfulness into their everyday activities. So if somebody's like totally new to mindfulness and they've never tried it before, I might have them experiment with practicing mindfulness while doing something like brushing your teeth. So if you think about brushing your teeth, how often are you truly present in the act of brushing your teeth, right? You're probably, you know, thinking about... I would say never, yeah. Never, exactly, yeah. (laughs) Thanks for your honesty. (laughs) And we're often, you know, thinking about our to-do list. We're thinking about if the day's just starting, okay, I got to get all these things done today. I got to check my emails. Or if you're going to bed, you're already thinking about what tomorrow has in store, maybe. And so I'll have somebody just focus on the sensations of brushing their teeth. So maybe you're noticing, you know, the smell of the toothpaste, the taste of it, what the brush feels like against your gums and your teeth. And it's a way to just start to tune in 
to doing what you're doing when you're doing it, which is really all mindfulness is. And the less our mind wanders, the less we worry about things that are out of our control. Fantastic advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Jamie. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Joel Thuna, Tanya Salaturo, Dr. Stacey Irvine, and Heather Lillico. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes and contact information for our guests and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The November-December issue is now available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss shopping for mattresses and bedding online, spousal support during COVID-19, the natural treatment of constipation and IBS, and cooking with spices 101. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.